Hello and welcome to Phenomenal. I'm Trisna, a psychologist with an interest in the well-being and fulfilment of artists, performers, creatives, and all those who follow their passion. Phenomenal is a podcast about walking in the shoes of some exceptional people who have paved their own way in life. In this podcast, I hope to not only introduce these phenomenal people, but also give an opportunity to understand them phenomenologically by hearing their lived experience. In this episode of Phenomenal, I speak to Enda Bashkan, a first-generation Australian of Turkish parents, who, among many other things, writes about his travels and discovery of his Turkish roots. We speak about feeling a stranger and yet a longing for both his place of birth and of his ancestry, identifying as a writer, becoming a parent, the personal and therapeutic process of writing, and the place of arts and culture in the world. When Alicia, who's helping us record this, asked you what you do, you hesitated for a long time. (laughs) So what do you do? Uh, it's weird. Um, the best answer is probably um, a mix between where you spend most of your time and what you ideally would like to do. <laughs> so most of the time I'm sitting around or changing nappies or doing something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I was I was going to start off with, so Enda, you're, you're a writer. What do you yeah, write sometimes. about? <laughs> Should we start there anyway? We can start there. Yeah. yeah. So what what sort of themes do you gravitate towards with your writing? Um, I suppose being diagnosing what's wrong with the world and getting <laughs> angry about it yeah. and trying to have good moments within that. Yeah. Generally going places and talking to people and trying to paint that picture again and um, illuminate something interesting, mm. I suppose. Mm. Yeah, mainly about going places. Yeah. yeah, and I think collecting, collecting things, collecting the past, collecting useless objects, collecting friendships, that kind of stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. and where have you gone? Um, most recently, to Alice Springs. Oh yeah. Yeah. Tell us about that. Um, went up there last year in the middle of last year to. Well, I'd applied with a friend for a residency. We didn't get it, but we went up anyway. Mm. And um, I was there to supposedly write the the final chapters of a book that I'd been writing about Turkey, Mm. um, about um, going to Turkey for the first time, being someone from a Turkish background and um, what that meant for me. But I was struggling with that book. Thought I'd take a month off and go to Alice Springs and work on it, but when I got there, I realised that I didn't want to work on that anymore, and I yeah. wanted to work on something new. Mm. Um, so it was um, Alice Springs being this place. I suppose it could have been anywhere else, maybe, but um, feeling stuck between uh, Melbourne and Turkey, or Melbourne and Istanbul, right. place where my parents are from. Uh, and always wanting to be in the other place or always longing for the place that you're not in. Right. Um, 
and lamenting um, what's possible in Turkey and what felt limited in Australia. And then somehow going into the desert um, broke that, you know, binary between one place or the other. It became mm. this like third point where I could see both places from. And it kind of broke the spell that I was in about longing to go back to Turkey desperately. Right. And it also clarified what Melbourne or Australia or um, those words or those ideas meant to me. Mm. Um, one, of the, one of the moments driving up there, because I think driving up there was a significant, you know, instead of just f dropping, flying in there, driving up there, my friend Gabe, who's in the car with me, said... Um, I've never seen red dirt before. Mm. And he moved to Australia with his family when he was about 10. And he said that when he was 10, Australia for him was red dirt. Or his older brother had said, we're going to go and there's going to be red sand. There's yeah. going to be red dirt. But he'd never, um, you know, years on, he'd never got to see that red sand or that red dirt. And mm. nor had I. And I realized that nor had anyone else in my family. Right. Um, so we'd all kind of come to this place called Australia and we um, – we had never really been there. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? We yeah. still haven't been there after, um, you know, 50 years or whatever. So yeah. that was the basis of the idea, I think. Yeah. Um, so I've just been writing something about that. And was it was it just the land that um, that interested you or, or were you drawn to people there also? People, land, feeling not stressed. Yeah. <laughs> Feeling, you know, being able to take deep breaths and not look at your phone or not have reception and all that. You know, that was that. that's the first kind of layer of it. Mm. And then kind of just being there and not having to assert yourself, not having to compete against something, not having to be stuck in, um, you know, traffic, all the kind of city cliches. Mm. Um, and that being... A, you know, like a little warm bath to begin with and mm. then that leading to good situations because um, maybe, you know, other people up there were part of that or feeling to me more open or mm. more um, more relaxed and mm. able to like broach big topics or have big conversations and not feel like, you know, time was a, a pressure and things mm. like that. So... I feel like I'm talking around in, in circles around what it meant, but mm. it was quite a big uh, feeling for me to have. Um, and it was landscape, but it was also um, something else, mm. something within as well as out there. Mm. And um, so how did, it, how did it change your perspective on Turkey? Um well, first of all, actually, what what when you first went to Turkey, what was your experience? My experience was um, uh, shocking, I suppose, quite um, strange that people were speaking Turkish around me on the streets, and that I was, uh, you know, another face in the crowd, and I was amongst in some sense, people like me. <clears throat> and, yeah, beginning to get stuck into conversations and feeling quite close to other people or feeling embraced by other people in a, in a way which I hadn't experienced mm. 
much maybe in Australia. Um, kind of, we can dig really deep on that kind of topic, you know, about how one feels. I'm happy to um, dig deep. <laughs> in this place or in one place or another or feeling stra estranged or strange in the country of your birth mm. or not really knowing that until you go, truly knowing it until you go somewhere else where you feel quite different or at home. And it's like, not that I felt completely at home, I felt very much a stranger to lots of what was in Turkey. But I feel mm. like, you know, a couple of days in, I was, you know, walking through a busy neighborhood and there were some young young guys um, singing folk songs, you know, in some square. Mm. And, um, and there were people, like imagine um, Burke Street Mall or something, mm -hmm. but way better. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> you know, young people singing folk songs, grandparents, grandchildren, young people, um, trendy kids, uh, middle-aged adults, everyone was kind of, singing along or a part of that you mm. know and um i almost felt like crying or something because i realized that we'd we'd lost or left behind a lot of those mm. um traditions and i often say that we kept the we've kept the worst parts of us and and left behind the best parts you know sometimes mm. i feel that way um so i was just struck by i was struck by um all these clues that had been given to me or that I'd sussed out throughout my childhood mm -hmm. growing up in a Turkish family in Australia with Turkish kind of cousins, mm -hmm. um, but not really knowing the significance of anything or not really knowing what, um, uh, not knowing songs were mm. or not being able to speak like street slang or mm. not knowing cultural references. I think that hits you. Um, and then you get to bigger questions like, why do we come to Australia and um, why haven't we ever questioned in my family whether that's been a good thing or a bad thing or what we've lost, we kind of just ploughed ahead mm. in being here. And um, what were the circumstances of your parents coming here? Um, I think the circumstances were Turkey was uh, by more or less selling off um, <laughs> its, you know, did an agreement with the Australian government, which is we'll provide 100,000 workers or 50,000 workers or whatever it was and mm -hmm. then if you're a Turk um, they put up posters you know along the city saying do you want to go to Australia and then you write your name down and then three years later um, they call you up and they say okay you're you're next in line do you want to go to Australia do you mm. really want to go and then they give you a physical examination and and you know make sure you're fit and healthy and then they send you to this country um um, for money, basically, mm. mm -hmm. and um, and uh, that's a common experience. It's not unique to my families. Mm. Both my my parents' families came separately, mm. um, and my mum. You know, there's like heartbreaking little details to it. My mum was playing the mandolin in Turkey and really loved it, but when they were coming over here, apparently her parents said, "Oh, you don't bring it. Like we've got too much luggage. We'll be back in two years anyway." And you know. As mm. it happens, like she never picked up a mandolin again, mm. you know that kind of that stuff being left behind and broken, and then you come here and um, tell yourself that you're having a really good life, and in many ways you really are. But then there's the sadness of leaving everything behind, and then me as the next generation growing up, 
not knowing what all of that is but feeling it you know the stuff that's not really spoken about but then underneath it feels like you can, we carry with us something um which is a mixture of like guilt and shame and all these kind of things mm. um and so yeah i went to turkey and that dredged everything up you know mm. every, all of a sudden i couldn't ignore those things anymore and i had to kind of or i felt like i had to explore them mm. i helped that i was you know i was writing or i'd started really seriously thinking about writing at the time so here was this ready-made thing to dive into and get obsessed with mm. um and as a result i went back to live in turkey for a couple of years and threw myself like right into that um and you said before you you just had clues as to um your culture before that what what, what do you mean you, you only had clues um well it's like part of part of being here successfully mm. one of the narratives is where you've got to leave behind your turkishness a little bit and mm -hmm. fit in right so you listen to Bon Jovi, you don't <laughs> listen to, you know, <laughs> whoever the Turkish folk singer is at the time, you know, you, and that, um, so we, I didn't grow up watching Turkish movies or mm. listening to much music. Uh, incidentally, I'd see some at my grandparents' house or cousin's place or, or whatnot. So what was Turkish was um, that um, things like you don't leave a draft in the house you know mm. like um <laughs> eastern medicines you don't you, you don't walk around barefoot mm -hmm. when it's cold and stuff like that like weird things like that mm -hmm. which are, none of my friends you know at school you know i had all these weird things that my parents would pack into my school bag and stuff mm -hmm. um those kind of superstitions never really understood why and then you go to turkey and then you're like oh everyone's kind of fucked up in the same way <laughs> <laughs> not just us so it normalized my family a little yeah. bit um yeah i still have this with my girlfriend she blames me for um not being able to walk around barefoot anymore because mm. i keep telling her that you shouldn't do that mm -hmm. and now she feels the cold mm -hmm. now we have a seven month old baby and before my parents come over to visit us, mm -hmm. I quickly put socks on her <laughs> so that my parents see that she's not barefoot <laughs> and so they don't, you know, die of worry mm. about what's going to um, creep up through her toes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, did you get the same, um, the sa a similar sort of sense when you went to school and you realised that this wasn't just a thing for everybody? I think so. I think... Um, I don't at school I remember a lot more of the violent kind of episodes like n not mm. necessarily physical but the things which felt a bit more brutal I don't mm. remember the subtleties so mm. much other than um yeah I, c I can't really recall yeah much of I was hiding you know I was hiding my identity a little bit at school mm. I, d I went to a school where there are no other primary school specifically which feels the most like delicate period there were no other turk you know people from turkish mm. families there so it wasn't something i could share with anyone mm. or that i felt like was important so i didn't really tell anyone or mm. you know mm. yeah mm. i asked that because um i have a, a recollection of when i was quite young going to primary school and using an indonesian word because 
I assumed oh, that yeah. it would be understood. Yeah. yeah. I actually I do have the same. I have a, a doubly strange moment in prep. I think it was we were going to the swimming pool the next mm. day, and the teachers sat us down and said, "Okay, we're going to the swimming pool. Mm. This is what's going to happen." And I feel like I wanted to ask a question, and it was basically. Um, do we have to bring our bathers? But I couldn't, I didn't know what bathers were. Uh-huh. So I said, mayo, which is the French word that's used in Turkish. Uh-huh. But I kind of said it with this nasally Australian accent. <laughs> Do we have to bring our mayos? And no one knew what I was talking yeah, about. Yeah. They thought I was talking about mayonnaise or something like yeah, that. Yeah. So I felt stupid. <laughs> so those, you know, those moments where you try to reach out and, yeah. and you get squashed back down. <laughs> yeah. So you said um, when you first visited Turkey, um, you were writing. Mm-hmm. And was that early on um, as far as writing? Relatively. It yeah. was when I st- I'd written for a long while without really showing anyone or feeling mm-hmm. like that was something that I would share. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I went to uni and uh, in my first uni break, I think I went to Turkey for five or six weeks. Mm-hmm. And that's when a lot happened. All of a sudden I had a ready-made subject, Mm. you know, whereas a lot of my um, fellow students were grasping for, you know, material. Mm -hmm. Um, And that being part of the struggle in sitting down to write, which is what am I going to write about? Mm. But um, I suppose there was something um, there for me to go at right away. And it was like unpicking or unravelling or processing, you know, some psychological process, Mm. therapeutic process Mm. um, for me. Yeah, which meant that I spent a lot of hours writing, Mm. which was good. Not necessarily great stuff, but I was at the desk, which Mm. was good. Mm. Yeah. And how would you say you approach writing? Um, Very, very personally, Mm -hmm. not much distinction between art and life, everything Mm -hmm. being very linked, very urgent, feeling um, political, I guess, out of necessity, feeling like it's a response or like a survival mechanism or Mm. um, if I was better at music, I'd do music. Um, (laughs) You know, there was a Turkish, I I watched this documentary recently about the visit of a Turkish folk musician to Australia in I think Mm. 1981 or something like that. And um, he plays a show and then he takes everyone out to a big Turkish restaurant mm. and they all sit around this huge table mm. and they um, and he's giving some kind of sermon about the importance of music and mm-hmm. culture and he's like, we have sung in the worst of times as well as in the best of times. Like singing and dancing has kept us alive mm. and increased our will to live, mm. you know. So, which was a great counterpoint to... Um, being right here right now in the world which is viewing the arts and culture as luxuries or things which are done when everything else is in order I Mm -hmm. see it as the opposite like the first thing that I have to do is sing or write or dance or whatever Mm -hmm. and then everything flows Mm -hmm. and comes from that Mm -hmm. you know Um, which is a good way to approach it because I did I did um you know, I think any anyone who has to sit at a desk and go through that struggles with how to start mm. um, and will try to do everything else and clean the house and do exercise and answer their emails and do everything else first. And I realised that 
I should do the most important thing or seemingly the most urgent thing first. Um, yeah. Has, has that changed at all since you've had a, a child? It just means I get up way early. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 But it's, that it's urgency is the yeah. same. More desperation now. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Finding, finding. Yeah. Obviously, things change, and yeah. sometimes there are more variables, and in that intervenes, and sometimes those things are joyful and and um, great. So I don't mind them at all. But yeah, I think I've just had to be more. Des- I, I am more desperate, so I have to be more disciplined uh-huh. uh, somehow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, is is this sort of part of the reason that when someone says, what do you do, you don't have a ready answer, is it? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. You know, it's this shameful thing. It's this thing that um, I've felt for a while and a lot of people around me feel the same way. We, we don't feel like asserting ourselves um we feel like for example you know i um i get a new day job hypothetically or mm-hmm. i get a new day job and i sit at the um the lunchroom table and everyone's talking about their lives and their family and everything mm-hmm. i'm not going to tell anyone that i write books you mm-hmm. know i don't i don't want to go down that path i don't mm-hmm. want them to do you know what i mean like yeah. it feels like something um and it comes out of this other f- this other thought or feeling which was um i suppose being labeled and people you know being introduced to people and people saying oh where where are you from or mm-hmm. you know what's your where's your name from and things like that and me quickly trying to flee from any mm-hmm. like direct answers so it's like mm-hmm. i don't want to give anyone any direct answers which they can use against me mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> you know yeah. um yeah somehow but I don't know if that's a good thing. It might be, you know, a little cowardly thing. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'll start to assert myself. <laughs> a little what bit more. do your parents think of your writing? There's a few different aspects to that. There's what do they think of my writing as it sits on the page, and what what do they think of me being a writer? Being a writer, mm, and you I can think um, my writing has helped. Uh, us broach certain topics and mm-hmm. you know the things that I've just mentioned to you that otherwise I never really um, addressed. Mm-hmm. I could never, you know, often my writing is a speculation about what my family and parents and myself have experienced or thought mm-hmm. because if I ask them a question, I'm never going to get a satisfactory mm-hmm. answer. Mm-hmm. So I don't bother asking them. I just, you know, speculate specu- on the page. F- speculate on the page exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think they've come to it's so it's strange it's something that they've come to accept you know mm-hmm. that's the way that you put it, and maybe that'll um mutate that'll turn into something else rather mm-hmm. than acceptance. I feel like they're probably quite you know proud in some ways, but um we didn't I didn't grow up around artists and musicians and writers. We felt like it was not our position in Australia to come here and create culture you know mm-hmm. we had to work in uh, abattoirs and you know um drive taxis and stuff like that mm-hmm. so um to say you're an artist is is a a big leap mm-hmm. um so it's a slow it feels like it's quite a slow thing but you know once um 
the other day my um grandma picked up the local paper and there was my picture in it mm -hmm. and you know stuff like that happens mm -hmm. um, or someone turns on the radio and I'm giving an interview on the radio and mm -hmm. you know my auntie hears it and that's a big deal and they mm -hmm. think oh he must be doing something mm -hmm. good on him mm -hmm. um, yeah but it isn't a terribly rational thing to do you know mm. um, I've got a friend who's like a legend of Australian writing and poetry um, and she, you know, she just wrote a book and it was a, it's a great book and she sold out and she made like $600 for this whole book, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, she got a check for $600 and she's been doing this very successfully for 40 years, mm. you know, so it's pretty crazy times we live in, mm. um, yeah, I, I don't know how to approach that question very well. I think um, I think they would see it as not the first thing that I should be doing, but the last thing. Mm -hmm. And I can appreciate that a lot too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And off air you were talking about um, attitudes around parenthood, um, mm -hmm. sort of a conservatism that that starts to come in. Can you tell me more about that? Does that come from you at all? Are you are you feeling more conservative, or is that still just an external? I feel like um, ideally you want to be like I feel like I want to um, defy and deny certain expectations. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like um, I just want to do it out. I just my partner and I want to do it our way. Yeah. And feel like things are opening up and they're not closing down. Yeah. You know, and it's shit if you, like, I don't know, trying to be an artist and um, trying to also earn a living and then trying to spend a lot of time with your child and one another. Like, mm. that's quite hard. So you've got to be um, thoughtful and um, a little bit radical about it, you know. Yeah. You can't just fall into the same old cliches or... You can. I'd, I, I wouldn't like myself to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But then again, I not many of my friends don't have children. Mm. Many, of, you know, so people don't really know what that means. Mm. You know, um, what exhaustion or whatever financial pressures anything might mm. mean, mm. psychological pressures. Mm. When I spoke to you last, you had this really cool analogy for um, for time, carving up time. I don't know if you remember this, but you were talking about, you know, I think you were talking about when you went to Turkey, it gave you a sense of time not having to be domesticated, I think is what you said. And what I'm really interested in, in now is because before you were talking about the fact that you need to be more disciplined mm -hmm. um, and possibly getting up earlier and so mm -hmm. forth. Has your conception of time shifted at all um, since, since you've had a baby? I think my, I think the over, my overall philosophy on time uh -huh. is remains the same. Uh -huh. And now I'm just like employing certain tactics in the battle uh -huh. <laughs> against time, which are <laughs> out of desperation and need for um, um, 
yeah need for time need for moments to write but maybe maybe um you can't quite catch me out on that one because it's more i think um the way that i think about it and i don't know if i described this to you when mm. we spoke about it last was that um you, if carving it out in a way or assigning it or sitting yourself down in a space and then setting yourself free within that time mm. um, is how I'm thinking about it now. Mm. Um, you know, so just being in a place, getting up, going to your desk every morning, sometimes mm -hmm. it's for 15 minutes, sometimes it's for an hour and 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I feel like every time I try to squeeze time or mm. try to demand a lot from a certain with an end from a certain period with a real end goal in mind never really works it becomes quite torturous mm. so it's um yeah it's um it's just being being there turning up mm -hmm. um yeah i feel like you know Ideally, I would um, I'd be in a situation where I'd get um, I'd earn a, enough of a living writing, mm -hmm. and then I can think differently about how I spend that time mm. and spend time with family and friends. Um, yeah, at the moment, it's like a desperate, a desperate um, turn of events. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, you know, defiantly, I'm trying to finish a book now whilst I have a um, small, small baby. You know, this is the time when you normally probably shouldn't be writing, but I've just feel like I have to finish this thing, so I'm pushing, yeah. I'm pushing um, to get it done. Yeah, but it doesn't feel like a sustainable tempo or pace. Right. You know, so I'd like to return back to that. Um, more sustainable tempo yeah know? yeah yeah rather than really burning burning myself out yeah yeah mm -hmm. um when when you started the conversation you were saying that i can't remember exactly what you said but your writing is often about an anger with the way things are yeah yeah um and I just wanted to come back to that. But more generally, just what what sort of things you value in life mm -hmm. and and perhaps then how how the world does or does not measure up to that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think being... Like that little analogy I gave, or that little story about the um, the Turkish folk singer coming in and saying, mm. "We, you know, we've always sung. We sing in bad times. We sing mm. in good times." And I think that's points to um, the sense that there's there will always be struggle, but mm. um, we struggle together. Mm -hmm. You know, we sing together and mm -hmm. we do things together, and we are with one another. Then um, that makes everything bearable, and maybe that's what you know, life's really about in the end. So, mm -hmm. um, which 
um, when you write when you write a book or when you make music or whatever it is that you create and share mm. um, to me as long as I'm in a room kind of with my friends and family and people who are interested in that and want to be a part of that I will feel like that's you know that's a success mm. um, but in terms of politically what's you know what's what I'm angry at or mm-hmm. you know I don't know it feels like various injustices mm-hmm. that are very obvious, very, you know, very obvious political um, problems which mm. aren't being solved. Mm. Um, diversion, like how we divert ourselves from the real issues mm-hmm. or media or news diverts ourselves from mm-hmm. the real issues, like um, how we live through screens and not through um, our daily waking lives you know Mm. on the street and with one another Mm. all that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. um yeah and i think to loop to loop back to the start of the conversation i think going to a place like alice springs meant that i got to reframe and reset those things Mm. you know um that was a part of australia which i didn't really see and know Mm. um and from there, I can question our values and the way that we live elsewhere, whether it's in Turkey or in Melbourne, mm-hmm. um, and ask what we can do better. Mm. Um, yeah, I th- the more I think about it, it's especially having a having a baby and having your social life shrink a little bit. People mm-hmm. come to visit you, but um, you know, I'm not out. I'm not out. You know having spontaneous late nights and Mm -hmm. road trips and things like that, Mm -hmm. Um, which makes you more dependent or makes you value just hanging out with your friends and bumping into your friends and doing things together. Mm -hmm. Now when um, I want to hang out with my friends, it's normally, um, you know, it's not just hanging out like we want to make music together Mm -hmm. or... I don't know, play soccer together or, you know, mm. it's um, being with while we do something together, which I'm not sure that that's, you know, it's fine to just hang out and do nothing together as well, but it feels mm. like we can do in terms of, yeah, maybe um, consolidating or like confirming our beliefs. It's good to do things which mm. do that. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, with writing or DJing or anything that you do, what, um, what do you hope to communicate? Um, I think the process of, uh, DJing is a, um, is an, is a nice one here to kind of elaborate, Mm. um, I, living in Turkey, I just started collecting old records. Mm. I brought them back here. Um, My uncles and aunties had some old Turkish records, which they gave to me, Mm. um, which I started playing out, not only to um, Turkish community or Turkish people, but mainly a broader community, um, to the delight of many people and... um, 
for me, that's it's these discarded, um, you know, old vinyl records, you know, seven-inch records, all dusty and scratched, mm. which you can unearth and play, and mm. all of a sudden that starts conversations. And um, you know, I got pretty obsessed in Turkey collecting records, um, but also going down to um, flea markets and gathering artifacts like mm. that's a turkey's a very an older civilization like urban turkey or istanbul's a very old city so you mm. have things lying around which are very old mm. and antiques and things like that mm. which you don't we don't necessarily have in australia mm. urban australia i guess um but through the process of collecting records i feel like um i opened up my family to our past a little bit. I mm. got us, you know, my uncle had a record that was, you know, now is worth, I don't know, $500 or something, a real collector's item, but that was something that he might, you know, want to throw away mm. until I kind of rescued it. Mm. Um, and then you assign certain value to it, which it's not that I, you know, want to fetishize those old records, but um, I guess I'm just getting at collecting collecting the past, trying to reclaim what we've lost yeah. and then tell it as a story yeah. and tell it as a story not only to our family and our community but everyone. Mm. And this is what happens, you know, the kind of winds of the world take you to the other side of the world without your mandolin and so you <laughs> want to go back and and play this music. And my dad came to Australia in 1967 just when music was getting, for me, very interesting in Turkey, mm. um, the old folk instruments were becoming electrified, mm -hmm. um, people wearing flares, mm -hmm. you know, rock and roll was coming into Turkey and then you have this Turkish, these Turkish folk instruments which have this kind of psychedelic, I suppose, um, feel, mm. then... Um, meshing well with the, whatever the vibe was at the time mm. around the world, that psychedelic kind of vibe. Um, and so growing up, my dad had all these like Cream and Jimi Hendrix records, you know, all these psychedelic rock records, but he didn't have any Turkish records. Mm. In fact, the only one he had was a Barış Manço record, which he sings in English. Mm -hmm. Barış Manço is like the, the Turkish Elvis. Mm -hmm. um, and he had a, his English record, which w was crap, um, and so I grew up listening to these to those records and not the Turkish records. And my dad, subsequently, had never heard you know these Turkish records, which was the thread that I picked up. Mm. And so I went back to my dad and I was like, "Hey, look at this record. It's from 1971 and it's amazing." And he didn't he that he he, he hadn't really cottoned on to the fact that there was like really good music, mm. which. Was, might have been as good as the music that he was listening to, mm. which was uh, coming out of the UK or Australia or wherever. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's like it's like my dad was a is a hard drive that got wiped out, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and so I've just downloaded all of this um, cultural information that I've picked up yeah. into him, and then spread to you know the rest of my family who. Um, are now kind of reconnecting yeah. with that music as you know as they get older as we start to bury people in Australia you know that's a mm. weird thing too right like mm. we all came out 
temporarily and the only finality is when you kind of get buried and mm. so now that's what's kind of happening like we're all getting older yeah um yeah so i think kind of yeah picking up the pieces of the past mm. and uh, is that the same with your writing yeah i think it's the same mm. um but you you're communicating beyond just your family i presume yeah i, th I suppose you want to um at some point you feel like addressing someone specifically when you mm -hmm. write or, um at other times you're just talking to yourself mm -hmm. um but i think i am i i think i i think it's <laughs> i'm just picking up these picking up these pieces you know um when i went to turkey all of these places that had always been spoken of that mm -hmm. i had never seen all of a sudden were ringing like really true to me mm -hmm. um and i'd heard i'd hear people saying these words or i'd go to these places that i'd heard so much about but that i'd never seen mm. um so it was like reanimating all of this mm. matter you know mm. um yeah and hoping you know at a bigger like more cosmic level it's um the meaning my generation here in australia um are the I don't know, second or third generation, I suppose, the first generation born here anyway. Mm. And um, we really don't know why we're here. Mm. You know, I could maybe speak for everyone really. Um, and so we've got to try to find a way of being here and find meaning. Mm. Um, and when we um, pick up the pieces of the past, then we can kind of, you know, connect the dots, mm. put it together, understand what the struggles were, what the kind of successes or celebrations were and what we can look forward to in the future mm. rather than saying the old kind of lines like Turkey is good for living but Australia is good for working, you know, <laughs> those kind of things. Australia, you make money. Turkey, you go have a good time. You know, mm. like got to try to break through, break those things down, mm. you know. Um, yeah. So yeah, finding a way of being and having a having a, a daughter now makes me think, um, yeah, I've got to, if I can give her something, it's basically some kind of direction or understanding of what, how we've ended up here and what, what it's you know what it's all about, like the reality of it, mm. rather than just saying Australia's the greatest country on earth and everything's fine and, you know, yeah. Mm. That's where I was going to go to the next generation, yeah. just as far as um, do you have any worries about um, sort of her sense of identity, seeing as though a lot of your narrative is about trying to find yours? I think, um, I know that I'm, I'm uh, actively engaged in it, so mm. if, if you're talking about it and not shying away from it mm. and a part of it then I don't think there's anything to fear I think mm. you fear it when you shut it down mm -hmm. and you don't think about it mm -hmm. you know I've already been filling her with Turkish propaganda and <laughs> and songs and music and singing her getting my mum to sing her Turkish lullabies and stuff like that so mm -hmm. um yeah I you know she might have a Turkish name but her 
father was born in Australia and had never went to Turkey until he was 21. You mm-hmm. know? And I, there would have been a day where, um, if I'd had a, you know, if I'd had a daughter 10 years ago, I may not have given them a Turkish name. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? So there's, mm-hmm. that might be a good marker. Mm. Maybe, um, you know, if she has kids, I don't know if she'll give them a Turkish. I don't know. Mm. Whatever, really. As long as, yeah, as long as we're thinking and talking about it. Yeah. I don't want to s- sweep stuff under the carpet anymore. Mm. I feel like that's what, that was been the survival mechanism for us for a long time. Mm. Probably because we haven't had the language to kind of grapple with, you know, grapple with these things. Mm. We never had the word, I was thinking this the other day, like, I didn't, I never knew what the word anxiety was because no one in my, it's not in the vocabulary of anyone in my family, mm. you know, mm. I was probably 17 by the time I knew what that meant, you know, mm. so it's not a feeling that I, you, you know. You have the feeling but you can't name it. So yeah, yeah, so then it's, you can't do anything about it mm. maybe, I don't know, I'm, yeah. Mm. Um, but there is a acute, there is a feeling of, Okay, before I was working stuff out for myself, I mm. think, and now kind of working something out for someone else maybe mm-hmm. or trying to give them some tools. The tools to work it out for matter. themselves. <laughs> yeah, you know, this yeah. is my dirty piece of paper and you can pick up, you know, those clues. You yeah. know, if I had clues sounded to me, then maybe yeah. I'll give her some clues. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. All right. I think we'll end it there. Thanks, Ender. Thanks. I feel very grateful to have the time to have conversations with people like Ender. He challenges the logic of continuous forward momentum and reminds me of the value of reflection, of different perspectives and of reframing our experiences. I enjoy the philosophical way in which Ender accepts life's struggles along with its successes and his willingness to take time to delve into issues and also the way that language has empowered him to do this. Our discussion of time reminds me of an essay by Oliver Sacks called Speed, which discusses the subjective nature of our experience of time. Although Sachs wrote about specific neurological conditions and drugs and how they can change perception of time, Ender reminds me that our mindset and being present in the moment can also alter our experience of time. In the next episode of Phenomenal, I speak to Claudia Sangiorgi Delamore, a film director, dancer and artist. Here's a preview of us discussing what she values and how that has influenced her work. Maybe it's all, uh, I don't know if this is a value, but again, and it's mainly through observing what people resonate Mm. with, Mm. the way I operate Mm. in the world. And I think that's um, just like a pressing urgency for uh, something that's real Mm. and honest. Mm. So, and that's, that happens mainly in my film work, you know, you can, it's very obvious to see it's like that's an un- me constantly trying to uncover some sort of honesty mm. in, in the person that I'm working with or mm. trying to translate, you know, for other people to bear witness to. Mm-hmm. 
that's like the delicacies that I probably do on more subconscious levels mm. uh, because I'm really interested in knowing who everyone is. 